0: Alright, fact check this podcast and for those who are watching the videos i am going to be wearing the same shirt in the next one two three possibly four videos i am going to record a whole bunch of stuff all at once and drop all of that out uh over the next few weeks because i am going to be busy with the renovations on the house as i talked about in the uh little update episode that i put out on Wednesday that was all of 2 minutes of explaining why i didn't have a normal wednesday episode um so today excuse me i am going to get into a topic that i had intended to cover a couple of weeks ago and just hadn't made it around to it been busy um going to talk about the uh it's an article from the washington post what pre civil war history tells us about the coming abortion battle <clears throat> now I want to start with some kind of ground level uh, talking point type stuff for where the rest of this is coming from. So, the foundation of Roe versus Wade and the uh, codifying into uh, as a right or codifying the right to an abortion for women. It was founded in the 14th Amendment. Now, for those who don't know anything about the amendments, now I ran through them relatively quickly, uh, several weeks ago, maybe a couple months ago now. Um, 13th, 14th, 15th, and 16th were the um, the Reconstruction Amendments post-Civil War. So the 13th gave uh, African Americans the No, the 13th abolished slavery. 14th is um, about rights and citizenship and civil rights. Um, I can't remember the 15th was off the top of my head. 16th gave the uh, gave African Americans the right to vote. So anyway, we're gonna I'm gonna look at the 14th because that's the foundation of Roe versus Wade, Uh, specifically a particular clause in it. So. The 14th Amendment, all persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and the state wherein they reside. No state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty or property without due process or of law, nor deny any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws. So um, at the time, they didn't consider slaves citizens and also any child born to a slave was not considered a citizen. So this does away with that. Not necessarily a bad thing, right? Not at all a bad thing. (laughs) Sorry. Early in the morning. So the portion of the 14th Amendment that was used for Roe versus Wade is what's called the Due Process Clause. Uh, The due process deals with the administration of justice, and thus the due process clause acts as a safeguard from arbitrary denial of life, liberty, or property by the government outside of the sanction of law. The Supreme Court has described due process uh, consequently as the protection of the individual against arbitrary action. So in Roe versus Wade, what they had explained with this due process clause was that the due, the due Process Clause of the 14th Amendment of the United States provides a fundamental right to privacy, which protects a pregnant woman's right to an abortion. Uh, see, this is something that I don't understand how abortion is a part of your right to privacy as, in terms of that, especially when through the 14th Amendment, it also guarantees the right to life, liberty, so on and so forth. And in the act of an abortion, you are robbing another person of <clears throat> life. Anyway, that's so. That's where a lot of this stuff comes from. A lot of uh, so the, the fundamental like thing that they build their case on is the Fourteenth Amendment, which comes post Civil War. So they want to look at some stuff that's pre Civil War and and things that were going on. And I am going to gloss over this relatively quickly um because it's just so fucking ridiculous um and i'll link the i'll link the article if you're not don't subscribe to the washington post you won't be able to read it but you might be able to find it on msn or somewhere else uh one of the different sites that uh what is it Newsbeam or something like that that have uh where you can find these articles without having to actually subscribe so I, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on the article itself. Uh, they, they make a lot of references to uh, post-Rove, or the, to the time that we're living in now, after the overturning of Roe versus Wade, putting women in a similar position as pre-Civil War slaves, which could not be any more fucking ridiculous, but here we are. Uh, This is the world that we live in. Like, these are the people that are supposedly writing the news and and keeping us up to date on what's going on. So what a lot of this is talking about is um, overturning this now puts all of this back into states' rights position. The states now have the option to make the decisions on... uh, legality of abortion, when the, what the cutoffs are, what the stipulations are in the terms and all of this, and they compare that to slavery. Uh, something that they gloss over and that they talk about regularly throughout the article is how all of these northern states had banned or had already abolished slavery at this point in, in uh, pre-Civil War history, and then all everything leading up to the Civil War was entirely about slavery they talk about the compromise of 1820, 1830 and 1850 which i have gone into pretty deep dive on with uh, C.D. McCrae on her show Whiskey and Tea i'll also link to that if you want to want some of the history of the uh, the compromises that led up to the civil war because while slavery was a tag along in each of those compromises. But the compromises themselves were built around taxation. And uh, at the time, the Union was, or what became the Union after uh, secession and, and the Civil War started. But the northern states were struggling significantly. They were not doing well financially, mostly because the southern states had the ability to grow crops and export those crops to European countries, who would then, in turn, send uh, manufactured goods and stuff back for cheaper than what the South could get them from buying them in the North and having them transported South. So, economically, the South was really thriving. And because of that, the North um, Washington and because the north was the heavy more heavily populated centers um, washington dc and those in control of things were levying these really high taxes on imports making it making it a lot harder for the southern states to to remain profitable when doing normal business trying to force the, the southern states to Buy overpriced goods from the North and keep the North afloat. Effectively, is what it came down to. Uh, all of the slave stuff was all of the slave stuff was a power grab in that that was kind of where the you know the Mason-Dixon line and and the divide of power in the House and the Senate kind of ran along the division of southern agricultural states that had heavy slave labor and northern industrialized states that had less of that. And so those northern states, uh, as new states were added into the United States, uh, there was kind of a give and take. There would be a state added that was, uh, that allowed slavery, and then there would be another state added that did not. That way it kind of had a, it kept things sort of on an even keel in the Senate, and they were able to maintain a level of civility without it uh, reaching the point of civil war. Ultimately, the North continued to push every time they made a comp, every time they made one of these compromises in 20, 30, and 50. Um, within a few years, of, like if you read the compromises themselves, they seem to be win-win for everybody. It can, it, can be, it can be something that everybody can work with, and you have a long-term plan for everybody to kind of come together, and this thing can, can work. But what would end up happening is uh, within a, a couple years of the compromise going into effect, D.C. would renege on all of its promises. They would start hiking tax rates. They would start hiking import taxes and tariffs and everything else and effectively just throw the plan out the window and say, fuck the South. This is what we're going to do because we have have more people so we can do it. Um, I went into a lot more detail on that than what I was intending to, but that's the basis of the civil war. And that's where this article just completely fucks it up because all it wants to talk about, all they really want to look at, is making a comparison of uh, women, <laughs> women and slaves, and northern anti-slave states with southern pro-slave states. To uh, uh, you know, the anti-abortion states are the are similar to the pro-slave states that's where, that's where we are uh, it's I mean ridiculous on its face completely and the thing that they leave out is a lot like there were a lot of northern states that did not abolish slavery in fact uh, I believe per capita Maryland had the most slaves of any state in the union at the time uh, like in all of it not not the north and the south like period. <laughs> a lot of those northern states still had slaves and still had large percentages of slaves. Just like the thing with the, I didn't do a Juneteenth episode because I did one last year and it didn't make sense to do one again this year. Um, well, like if you look at the whole Emancipation Proclamation thing, like that only freed slaves in southern states that the Union did not have control over uh slaves in northern states that were a part of the Union were not freed by the Emancipation Proclamation didn't apply to them and, you know never mind any of that like let's let's not actually let's whitewash history and not actually pay attention to the the real details and and important uh, points that happened throughout history like ridiculous. So in the wake of all of this, are we, is America on a path to civil war? And, and as we kind of look at this topic of the potential coming of a civil war, uh, it, it, breaks down a lot more than just on the abortion thing. Um, it's also, there's a, there's a lot of talk about gun rights and stuff like that. Um, Let's see. On the abortion thing, like right now, the House is trying to push through a bill to restore abortion rights and make it the law of the land. But it's going to die once it hits the Senate because it doesn't have backing. Uh, and they're trying to push through a another bill to codify um, contraceptives, which I didn't realize was a threat, but. Sure, they're trying to push through a bill to, to codify that as well. Uh, that's also going to die as soon as it hits the Senate. They're, I believe they're trying to push through one to, uh, to codify gay marriage. Also dead as soon as it hits the Senate. Uh, the problem that they're running into is these bills. Enough of. The reason these bills are at risk to begin with is because they really are states rights issues. like we're, we're kind of seeing a uh, we're kind of seeing the uh, the federalist federalistic idea, the more states rights ideas coming into play here where um, the Supreme Court in its current iteration. And what's really funny about this is, like these are votes these votes are going 6-3 uh, or like in the case of, of overturning Roe, it went uh 5-3-1 but these roberts is by all accounts a liberal he has throughout his entire time on the court he has ruled along with the liberal judges on just about everything of note uh, there are like smaller issues where he sides with the conservatives, but anytime it's like one of these big hot button topics that's really in the news, Roberts goes. Roberts goes with the liberals every time, until now. Now he's starting to actually vote uh, along with the conservative judges. So it's weird to see that kind of playing out. I didn't expect that. I thought anything they got passed would get passed on a five-four, with Roberts siding with the with the liberals and. That hasn't been the case. Uh, even the interesting thing with the abortion one, which I think I might have talked about before, was it was the the five like more conservative judges ruled that the Mississippi abortion bill was constitutional, would be allowed, and they overturned Roe versus Wade. Uh, Roberts agreed with the Mississippi abortion bill being okay, but he did not want to go as far as to overturn Roe versus Wade. And then the others were just disagreed with everything entirely. Um, so interesting, interesting to see how this court is kind of splitting itself. Uh, so they're trying to pass all these bills through uh, through Congress right now, and, and all of them are going to fall flat on their face because once they hit the Senate, there are at least one or two constitutional Democrats who... Uh, come from what what you would probably call purple districts or conservative blue districts that um, they have to the senators are going to have to vote for what their their support base actually wants and what makes sense for the people that they represent and what makes sense for the people that they represent is to not allow this widespread or wide scale uh, big government push for the federal government to control everything. It's to return the power to the states. So that's a good, that's a good thing. That is a good thing. Uh, at least in my opinion, And if it's not a good thing in your opinion, that's you, you know, that's yours. We can have a conversation about it, but like more state rights is always going to be a positive thing. So are we coming to another civil war? Is that what all of this is leading up to? Um, I don't think a hot civil war is necessarily on the horizon, uh, but I think in the event that so, what's going? One of two things is going to happen, <clears throat> in my opinion. This is all my opinion. I don't claim to know any of this for a fact. This is just what I foresee. We're either going to come into these midterms here, and It's going to be a huge sweep by the right to turn the House and the Senate, or at the very least, the Senate, Republican, and effectively shut down everything that the Biden administration would want to do for the next two years, assuming it's even continues to be the Biden administration, the Hillary administration, effective January. Heard it here first. So either that happens and the swing to the right continues and you get a Republican president, whoever that might be, in 2024, and things kind of go back into the ebb and flow that you typically see in politics. Or the left doubles down on what they've been doing for the last two or three years. And in spite of everything indicating otherwise, you end up with an even bigger majority in the House, and the Senate takes two or three more seats to lean it completely Democrat, and then you start to see secessionary movements across the country. Texas, South Carolina, New Hampshire, Florida, uh, likely Alabama, Oklahoma, Arizona, especially if Kerry Lake wins, uh, Montana, the Dakotas, possibly Iowa you start to see rumbles of this because the more the more left Congress goes, the more it alienates a lot of the middle part of the country. It, it entirely caters to New York, California, uh, Oregon, like it's its entirely coastal elite or big city driven. So as it pushes more left, that's going to push the state governments to look at options. And that's when you're going to start seeing secessionary movements. That's when you're going to start seeing a lot of call for breaking up the country. That's, and that's when not only are you going to see the calls for it, you're going to see it actually happen. Like you're going to see these states start really pushing. And at that point, the u.s government kind of has the choice that it had uh with the original the formation of the confederacy and secession then is either you allow it and say okay you do your thing we do our thing we see how it works out or you mill uh you mobilize your military and you try to go to war with all of these individual states. Now, here's going to be the big difference, I think, from civil war of the 1860s to a potential civil war, or at least uh, the afterflow of of events in, in the event of secession in the 2020s, is that the states that secede are not going to be... Split along that nice clean Mason-Dixon line. You're not going to be able to take everybody from the north and just say, "Okay, we're going to march south and bring these motherfuckers back." It's going to be it's going to be a patchwork. They're going to be all over the place. Like, and not only that, but it's going to be too much landmass to cover. The U.S. military is losing people, and in the event of something like that happening, they would lose more people. Uh, how how willing is the U.S. military personnel to fight against other Americans for those reasons? Like, I, I don't think civil war is a necessity. I don't think civil war is a given. Um, honestly, I, I don't think civil war should happen in any way. But will the federal government allow a secessionary movement without turning it into a civil war. That's where it becomes, that's where the, that's where the trick is. And honestly, I think it would be somewhere, uh, something similar to the, the way the first civil war played out and that when the South chose to leave, the North had no option, but to try to bring them back because as I stated earlier, the North was a was a failing state. Uh, the manufacturing industries of the North couldn't compete. the The North didn't grow its own crops. Like it was, it was going to fail without the South, uh, without the income that was generated by the South to supplement the failures of the North. Like they had to have that, and I think it'll be largely that as well for uh, in the event of secessionary movements especially if you start to see secessionary movements of like Texas Oklahoma like some of the big oil producing states uh, because then that would leave the that would leave the remaining federal states reliant on other oil sources and and then you would see energy independence amongst the uh, seceding states. So, I think there would be necessities of of war for the states that choose to remain a part of the federal government. Uh, it's it's going to break up weird if it if it happens, and which I've talked about that as well previously. Uh, I hope it happens. Uh, I think that's the I think that's the only positive outcome that could come from anything that's gone on over the last maybe decade. Uh, Like anybody who was in a bad relationship or in a bad marriage and like split up or got a divorce because, especially after like trying for a long time to make it work and to keep things and to hold things together, and then you finally just hit that breaking point where like there's no way that you can keep doing this the the relief that everybody experiences from going to from breaking away from that like that's where we are as a country like it's gotten so nasty and so ugly and and so untenable that something's got to give right um we'll see we will see i guess it's going to be interesting it's going to be an interesting decade if not less honestly i think two two years maybe four, but yeah, it's, uh, it's getting crazy. I'll link the, uh, like I said before, I'll link the article from the Washington Post about what pre-Civil War history tells us about the coming abortion battle if you want to look at the most ridiculous comparison of slavery to abortion rights. Uh, also, I'll link the episode of me and CD talking about uh, the compromises leading up to the Civil War. I will be back on Wednesday uh, with a brand new episode. Talk. Uh, I'll be talking to Brian Peter, who is running for U.S. Senate in Colorado. Um, that actually, that interview was done live on Saturday. So, if you missed it then, you can always go check it out on my YouTube channel. Um, I also have it up on Rumble. And I think that's all I got. Sorry, I'm kind of stumbling through the end of this. Uh, If anybody's got anything you want me to talk about or look at, hit me up and let me know. Otherwise, I will catch you on Wednesday. (music)